Hello, my friends. This is Kevin Swanson. The program is Generations. With me today on this edition is Steve Vaughn, who is board member of Generations and our parent organization, Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Steve, welcome. Hey, thank Good you. To have you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one of the objectives of this program is that we understand the times so that we would know what to do. Those are the men of Eshikar. Um The idea is that we understand the enemy and be aware of his devices. It's okay to, to do that. We are to be in the world, but not of it. Now, our options in terms of interacting with the world around us is, one, we could escape the world, which is difficult to do because you have to go shopping from time to time. Uh, so, you know, you, you run out of groceries, so you go back to the grocery store. And most of us are in the world. You know, we, we have some buying and selling quid pro quo we're doing out in the marketplace, and that's understandable. So you can't escape the world. We're not to conform to the world. That's the other option, amalgamate into the world. Um, so we're not to do that. We've got the Romans 12, 1 and 2 issue there. But we are called to be salt and light in the world and to cast down every imagination and anything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God in Christ. And uh, so that's what we're to do. And I, to a great extent, we're engaging a cultural battle. Indeed, it's a political battle. There are p- political issues at stake, but it's not so much a political battle. And in some respects, it's not so much an idea battle that takes place in education as much as it is an idea battle that takes place in pop culture. So therefore, to be aware of what's going on in popular culture is important for Christians today. Avatar 2 is about to become the biggest movie of all time. Avatar 1 is the second biggest movie of all time, second to Gone with the Wind. So coming back to popular culture, let's examine what has happened in our world. Now, this Avatar 2 is just another pantheistic religion that is uh, broadcast to the entire world. It's a, it's a worldwide blockbuster. This one isn't just something that's selling to Americans. It's selling to everybody around the world. And indeed, Hollywood in the United States is uh, really one of the absolute most committed missionaries to the humanist, pantheistic, anti-Christian vision around the world. I can't think of any other missionary source, whether it be Islamic, humanist, or any other form, that is as careful to, to get the message out or as efficient at getting the message out as Hollywood. So Hollywood's doing a great job, at least from their perspective. But uh, now what I'd like to do, Steve, is I'd like to go over 90 years of Hollywood. Um, and, and I do this because I think it's important for Christians to understand how we got to where we are today. There is the frog in the slowly boiling water, you know, and you're taking a look at it. And sure enough, we're at 211.4 degrees and we're thinking this thing is approaching boiling, but we didn't really check it out. We, we haven't seen it because we're, we're in a culture in which the temperature rises about a degree a year. Right. About yeah. a, let's let's just say for argument's sake that it was about 94 or 102 a, a decent jacuzzi in 1939 okay yeah what is that like 104 okay you go 90 years and you're approaching boiling okay at a degree a year so the frogs are starting to warm up a bit and, and the whole thing about the frog of the boiling water is that they don't move because it's rising too slowly for them to notice as a cold-blooded creature and so it ends up being boiled and uh yeah it it's happy 
at that time until it <laughs> exactly. dies. It's like a oh, pretty nice jacuzzi, you know, pretty yeah. nice jacuzzi, except it seems like it's getting a little warmer here over the years. And uh, that's what's happening with Hollywood. Today, we're going to analyze the worldwide zeitgeist by movies from 1930 to 2020. We'll do a 90-year tour of the way the world thinks by taking a look at the biggest blockbusters of the 1930s, 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and 2010s, and 2020s. And uh, we'll do that in just a moment on the Generations Broadcast. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you today. With Steve Vaughn, we're going to take a look at a 90-year tour as to the way the world thinks by taking a look at the biggest blockbusters of the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way up to the present day. Now, these numbers have been adjusted for inflation. I'm not going to give you all of the numbers, but let's go back to the 1930s and find that the biggest blockbuster of the 1930s is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay, they pulled wow. in something like $2.2 billion adjusted for inflation. So that's that was a big blockbuster in the 1930s, and that, of course, was Disney, one of Disney's very first productions. Yeah, it was. I think it was their first uh, full length movie. I think they'd done already uh, like uh, some of the Mickey Mouse stuff and uh, that sort of thing. But I think that this was their first full length movie that they had actually put out as an animated movie. All right. So the big movie of the 1930s is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs getting up in the 1940s. It's going to be gone with the wind, although it was produced in 1939, but continued to rake in the bucks. And they did something like four billion dollars. That 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 is actually the largest blockbuster of all time still is soon to be moved aside by Avatar. But since the 19. 19- 30s uh that that's going to be number one uh gone with wind 1940s biggest blockbuster moving in the 1950s it was 10 commandments and ben hur together pulling in 4.3 billion dollars the 1960s the sound of music the jungle book and 101 dalmatians now we're getting back into disney yeah, we're getting back, back into, into disney sort yeah. of pro family movies sound of music you know uh, that's uh, a yeah. altogether. They pulled in something like six point six billion dollars. So that was a big decade, and some really big blockbusters coming in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, a lot of uh, family friendly uh, aspects to all of those. That you know, it's the family and um, uh, sound of music that we need to escape the, the Nazi area and the Nazi era, trying to get over into Switzerland, I believe it was. And then you've got Jungle Book, um, where 
they're taking this man cub into the man village where he would then start a family. That was what the, the, the girl was singing. I must go to fetch the water, uh, so that I can, uh, provide for the family. I can provide the water for the family while my husband's out hunting. And so that was her view was to try to get married and, and be a good wife. And so those are the, those are the types of things Disney used to put out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not anymore though. All right. So for the 1960s, Sound of Music, Jungle Book, 101 Dalmatians, we get in the 1970s, biggest blockbusters of the 1970s, Jaws and The Exorcist at $4.2 billion. Now, now you're beginning (laughs) to see a worldview shift. That Uh, that was a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. 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 Now, have you seen either of those? No, no, I haven't. No. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately I have, <laughs> I didn't see any of these Steve in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, except for sound of music. My, my father allowed us to watch a little bit of sound of music. Uh, we only made about a halfway through. And when they got to the part where, you know, I'm 16 going on 17, my dad, you know, shut down the television set and we all went to bed. So yeah, we didn't get very much of American culture, or I guess that would be more like I guess, Swiss or German culture. Uh, We didn't get much of that in the 1970s. Uh, Certainly didn't see Jaws and The Exorcist. But then you get in the 1980s and E.T. takes the cake in the 1980s with $2.7 billion. And yes, that was one of the first movies that I saw, actually, in the theater. And those were tough years for me because you're not talking about a young man who's ready to discern very well. And uh, I would say those were my movie watching years and watched too many movies and wasn't as discerning as I should have been. Those are the 1980s. And on in the 1990s, that's Titanic. 1990s are the Titanic years. Uh, that's uh, Titanic pulled in $2.2 billion. And that's somewhere around the top three, four, or five of the uh, most popular movies of all time. And then the 2000s, you've got the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter pulling in four, five, six billion. And then 2010s, finally, we come to the Avatar and Avenger years, and these movies are way, way up there. They're about ready to push away the um, uh, the number one spot, uh, which has been taken by Gone uh, with the Wind. Gone with yeah. the Wind, yes, from the 1930s and 1940s. Okay, so that's that's pretty much it. To analyze what's happened over this period of time, we're talking about a 90-year run. To, to just see what's going on over, say, the first 90 years of popular culture in America. And remi- remind yourself, my friends, that uh, culture was largely set by family and local communities, as well as local churches for a period of about 1,600 years of Western history. And it's only been in the ni- 1900s and early 2000s where we're getting into popular culture, making the most significant decisions for where people are going to go. And uh, so as as we take a look at these uh, we find that the first major shift occurred in 1982 with E.T. and Star Wars in 1977. And what am I talking about here? Well, I mean, if you just step back and say, what is this gone with the wind business? What is Jaws? What is Exorcist? What is Sound of Music? What's Ten Commandments? What has been heard? These are stories about real people. Now, they may have been people who did certain things in history, as in the case of the Ten Commandments and the story of Moses. They might be these reenactments, or they might be just dramatic representations of a story that tells of real people living in God's real world. Uh, That is, you know, other people. They're interacting with other people uh, on this earth. But then you get into the 1980s, 1990s, and onwards, and now we're seeing the shift from real history or real people into a fantasy world. 
The 1970s, of course, is the turning point uh, in, in many ways. The Exorcist involved real people, but there was a rising interest in the occult. Jaws was a soft introduction to the horror genre. Nevertheless, with, even with Jaws, you find, you know, real people dealing with, well, real animals created by God. And uh, so you're not looking at full-fledged fantasy or sci-fi taking the box office in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s until you get to E.T., until you get to what happens afterwards with Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the Avatar, the Avengers, etc. It's almost nothing but fantasy, almost nothing but sci-fi. Um, of course, Star Wars came out in 1977. That was probably the hinge point. Okay, uh, But what you get is a full-fledged fantasy genre Uh, that's what dominates the box offices and it has between 2000 and 2023 now why is fantasy a risk uh, sometimes riskier than other genres well number one fantasy has been used as a door to gross autonomy what do i mean by that what i mean by that is man can uh, act as his own god uh, building his own make-believe universe determining good and evil for himself within the fantasy genre. Now, that doesn't mean that he always does that, but it opens the door for that. Secondly, fantasy and science fiction are addictive. Uh, Science fiction is known as uh, a consciousness-expanding drug. That's the way Sir Arthur Clarke referred to it, and some have called it the crack cocaine of uh, literature. Uh, Fantasy and sci-fi is also modern man's attempt to escape reality. He cannot face reality. He cannot face God, the reality of sin, judgment, of course, Christ and God's redemption and the necessity of repentance and these sorts of things. So lots of folks want to get lost in the metaphor. They find a hundred exit ramps off the highway of reality in order to escape reality because they don't want to face God's reality. And so the, the preferred reality is either get lost in the metaphor, either uh, just addiction to sci-fi and fantasy or or crack cocaine itself, or or just, you know, the addictive drugs that s- seem to have increased the despair deaths from uh, from one per hundred thousand to 60 per hundred thousand, uh, something like a 60-fold increase in just the last 20 to 30 years. So whether it's going to be drugs or whether it's going to be some form of fantasy literature or something like these movies, uh, either way, addictions form and man gets addicted to getting lost in the metaphor and uh, disconnecting himself from reality. That's probably what what Avatar is all about more than anything else. Avatar is really the story of somebody becoming his own avatar. You know, explain what an avatar is for us, Steve. You know, what is an avatar? We talk about avatars, but it's like your pseudo character, pretend character, the person you want to pretend to be. Yeah, it's. I mean, it even gets into the whole idea of being an ascended master, but it, it's you know a different character. It's it's still a fantasy kind of thing where I project myself into some other image, and that's who I am. And it it comes about even on on the internet a lot where you use an avatar to instead of your real picture. Um, this is what and it, it's, it's supposed to give a little idea of who you are, what your personality is. Um, but it is, it's all still in that fantasy realm and, uh, and it's escapism. It's a, uh, it, it's essentially even saying that reality isn't good enough. Uh, God's reality isn't sufficient. I need to create my own reality. And if I were God, I would make it this way. It, it goes clear back to the sin in the garden. If I were God, I would create things this way. I would do better than God did. 
So the first major shift is massive genre shift. Friends occurred in 1982 with E.T. and then onwards into the next 30, 40 years. And uh, so we see the big shift happen from the drama, thriller, and adventure genre in God's real world to what? To fantasy and sci-fi. That's what happens with Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Harry Potter. And all the rest that has occurred, and, and these are the big blockbusters. That's, that's it. That's the 90% of box office receipts today. Why? Because people are taking a dramatic exit off the highway of reality. That's where modern man has gone. He's escaped reality, and he's committing suicide. All right. Now, I want to take a little, little bit of a look at the, the shift between the 30s to 60s on into the 70s and 80s in terms of ratings. Now, think about this. These are the blockbusters. I'm not saying there you know, aren't other movies that, that lie in the plus three standard deviations or minus three standard deviations. You know, There's the really bad stuff, and then there's the really good stuff, and there are Christian-produced movies that are coming out of Billy Graham and elsewhere in the 1970s. And so you, you, know, you have quite a distribution of films. So I'm saying what we're looking at are, are the, the, the major zeitgeist, the, where the majority of Americans are going, where the the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age is taking us today. And so back in the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, what did you have? You had G rated movies, Snow White, Sound of Music, Jungle Book, 101 Dalmatians, 10 Commandments, Ben Hur. There's they're still rated G movies. And these are the big movies of the nineteen thirties through the nineteen sixties. Then on to the seventies and eighties, you get more PG and PG thirteen. And then the nineteen nineties to twenty twenties, the ratings of blockbusters move towards the PG thirteen, which is verging on soft porn. Uh, let's just face it, Steve, you know, you take Titanic, which I believe is a PG-13, yeah. but you've got nudity in that thing. And, you know, I, I don't think people yeah. realize sometimes that these ratings are not to be trusted by Christians. Yeah. One of the things that uh, if anybody suggests a movie and say, hey, this is a really good movie, uh, there's actually some places that you can go to figure this out. Uh, IMDB actually is a pretty good uh it's a pretty good indicator because there is a parental guidance section on there and it will tell you exactly how many times, you know, God's name's taken in vain, how many curse words, how much nudity, if any, and, uh, you know, gore and, and any of that, that you can actually see that the, at least the words, they, they say, this is how many, and they don't spell it out, but it gives you an idea of what you're getting into and whether or not you want to get into that or not. And most of the time, you know, pretty much all the time, no, you don't. And PG-13 is that that era area where it, when it crosses over from PG to PG-13 that you have got to be really, really careful. Another area in which we're to really take a great deal of care in is the area of, well, morality. And... You know, I had the impression, I think, at one point that if you go back in the 1940s, and 1950s, you know, it's all moral. It's all wholesome. It's good <laughs> stuff. Turns out it's not. Not necessarily. It's, it's no. not. Yeah. You, you've got a fair amount of sensuality that just, you know, cooks under the surface. Now, of course, it explodes onto the scene with, uh, you know, uh, The Graduates and some of those movies that are hitting the screens by the late 1960s, but, but it's still under the surface and you got to be really cautious with it. Uh, gone with the wind. Let's, let's take that one. Okay. As, as we view the shift in morality, gone with the wind has two curse words. Now, some say it was just a one, it's one that's somewhat famous, but there's another one. 
at least one other one in it. Now, again, I haven't seen it, but I'm just looking at some of the scripts. Um, and there are despicable people doing despicable things in a soap opera style presentation and the greatest blockbuster of all time. Scarlett O'Hara is a notorious screen character. She's got insincerity. She flirts. She's cold hearted. She's, uh, she's encouraged, uh, to indecency. Um, so she's not a role model. She's obviously a dangerous role model, but perhaps she was used as somewhat of a role model for those who watched the movie. The point is, there was no explicit approval of sin in Gone with the Wind, outside of cursing. There's that. So there's a little bit of that. But as you go after World War II, the big movies are Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, Sound of Music, Jungle Book, 101 Dalmatians. No real explicit cursing, swearing, encouragements to break the Ten Commandments. In fact, one of these uh, blockbusters actually is about the Ten Commandments. Um, but yeah. again, there, there may be instances in these movies of immodesty and these sorts of things. Um, but, but there's, isn't this explicit? Yeah, go ahead and break the 10 commandments of God. 1975 though, what you have is a huge increase in the violation of the third commandment. No question about it. Start getting into jaws. They're counting curse words. Uh, I don't know, upwards of 30, 40, 50 taking of God's name in vain taking of Jesus's name in vain. These sorts of things are happening throughout the 1970s. In fact, if anything happens in the 1970s, it's the explosion of the violation of the third commandment. Um, so that's significant to me. That's really significant. You watch movies presented in the 1970s. They're just going to be full of this apostasy, this massive uh, rebellion against God, this blasphemy against God, against the Lord. And uh, that's just an explosion occurring in the 1970s. Some of the lesser movies are breaking the seventh commandment with impunity by 1967. As I mentioned, blockbusters aren't quite there yet, but the exorcist effectively mocks the Catholic church. The demon leaves the girl for the Catholic priest is the, the, the way the story goes. Okay. I mean, that's pretty much it. So you don't have to watch it. Just, you know, there's this exorcist shows up, tries to cast the demon out of the girl and winds up receiving the demon to himself. And it was sort of the Sons of Siva exorcism department that showed up on the scene, and the results weren't very good. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not, you know, the Christian God has sovereignty over evil. Now, of course, the entire horror genre doesn't want to submit itself to that. Uh, you know, if you do that, then horror is no fun anymore is the way that the ungodly view it. <laughs> it ends pretty quick. It does, yeah. God puts the <laughs> yeah. big kibosh on the demon and the whole thing's over. So uh, the idea of the sovereignty of evil is just getting started in the 1970s. I think there's still some recognition of God, but, uh, but there doesn't seem to be an indication that the power of God is going to crush Satan and Satan and all of his evil angels tossed into uh, the hellfire forever and ever. That message, of course, is not going to be conveyed in a movie presented in the 1970s. You get into the 1980s, and and E.T. is introducing potty mouth words, something you would not have seen in Sound of Music, Ben-Hur, and the Jungle Book of the 1960s. So that's happening in 1982. In the 1990s, up in the 2020s, the movies are now explicitly encouraging the violation of God's laws. We're supposed to you know, really be encouraging and exalting in the relationship of a young man and young woman on the Titanic, and, of course, uh, there is a violation of the Seventh Commandment. There is sexual sin going on there as well. And the Harry Potter movies of the 2000s introduced the world to witchcraft. Uh, Avenger movies 
of the 2020s present some of the most radical departures from Christian morality you could imagine. Homosexual characters now appearing in Avengers Endgame in 2019 and almost every Marvel movie since then. The Marvel franchise, of course, owned by Disney. Uh, The ancient one in Avenger Endgame is a witch doctor or a sorcerer. He wins the contest to be the supreme sorcerer of the world. He's said to use dark magic for good ends. He casts spells. Uh, The movie includes voluntary human sacrifice, just about everything pagan, everything anti-biblical you can imagine. But uh, a fair number of Christian children are running out and watching Titanic, and then they're watching Harry Potter, and then they're watching... Uh, the Marvel franchise, Avengers Endgame, and and uh, everything else, and they're just absorbing it all. And you know that this is the route to apostasy. This is how they take on a foreign religion. This is how they sit at the feet of the imams of uh, bad religions and take on a different faith. And this is the way that apostasy happens in America. Uh, so that's that's the moral angle, but most critical, most insidious, and most influential of all is the worldview shift that occurred. The assumption of the Christian God remained in the 1970s, the Ten Commandments, Gone with the Wind, um, as well, uh, the everything up until about the 1960s. E.T. in the 1980s does provide a radical shift, beginning to teach an evolutionary worldview. Now, you know, the Christians that, that just ran up to the microphones and wanted to clarify to everybody that E.T. is a picture of Jesus. Um, I would say a rather <laughs> ugly Jesus at that, but, uh, uh, you know, the sort yeah. of far-fetched uh, narrative that Christians are trying to impose on popular culture is so utterly ridiculous. Um, the E.T. worldview is, uh, well, number one, there's enamorment with witchcraft and the occult introduced. The older boys in the story interact over a fantasy role-playing game in which they're throwing spells, you know, so they're acting as witches and wizards and throwing spells in this role-playing game. So that's that's a fairly radical shift from the 1960s, Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, etc., as the occult is introduced to a child's movie or a young person's movie in the early 1980s with E.T. Extraterrestrial life is almost inevitable in an evolutionary worldview. So, again, the evolutionary worldview is essential here. The notion of alien life does not square with Scripture. God designed the earth for life, Isaiah 45, 18, and God's plan of redemption is for human beings that descended from Adam, Problems are all over the place for the possibility of intelligent alien life. Science fiction programming abounds with it, as we as we said. Uh, though they may be entertaining, alien races are theologically problematic. Intelligent alien beings cannot be redeemed. God's plan of redemption is for human beings, those who descended from Adam. Well, then you get into Avengers and Avatar, moving to full-bore explicit pantheism. So we, we almost immediately move from a materialism to a pantheism. This, these are the worldviews that pretty much summarize man in rebellion against God. He's either going to move towards naturalism, materialism, in which he sees nothing but you know material, cosmic dust floating around the universe of pure chance, or he's just going to give in to the idea that all is one and all is God. And that is a pantheistic worldview, which is really represented by Avengers and Avatar within Avengers. The powers are derivative from within the universe. The gods are fighting over the infinity stones. The soul gem grants the user control over all life in the universe, the power of God, uh, but the power of God really within the universe, no sovereign God over the universe. 
The time gem grants the user omniscience. The space gem grants the user omnipresence. Uh, this uh, power is not distinguished from the created sphere. There's no creature-creator distinction going on in uh, the Avenger movies. Uh, this is just the wrong religion. Avatar. Also, explicitly pantheistic religion, PluggedIn.com, recently uh, just gave a little bit of update on what's going on with Avatar 2. Pandora's culture is deeply spiritual, not Christian at all. Rather, the planet's inhabitants worship and sometimes pray to Awa, a sort of environmentally-based goddess. Think of uh, Mother Nature on spiritual steroids. Natiri, for instance, thinks the Great Mother when her thanks the Great Mother when her son avoids a fate that could have been a catastrophe. They pray in life-threatening situations to this great Mother Earth. Everything on the Pandora planet is connected to Pandora's central spiritual heart, etc., etc. So pantheism, what is it? It's a rejection of the creator-creature distinction, another attempt uh, for man to worship himself. The Eastern worldview holds that all is one, and therefore can be no distinctions between that which is true, that which is not true, that which is right, that which is wrong, um, including the Eastern worldview. Thus, all teaching and argumentation and polemics and opinions about anything are discounted by their own worldview. The less consistent of these adherents might stick around for an argument on why their religion is best, but all the other most consistent of them would have nothing to say about it because, well, there is no such thing as that which is true and that which is false when it comes to a monist worldview. These avatar folks have an extremely moralistic view concerning environmentalism, whatever, but they have no basis by which to take that position, assuming all is one. and There's no ultimate distinction between that which is right and that which is wrong. Well, in conclusion, friends, let me just draw a conclusion on this. The transition went from a Christian worldview in the early 20th century, from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, to a naturalistic worldview in the 1980s, to an amoral worldview in the 1990s and on to a pantheistic pagan worldview in the 2020s. The West is uh, back to gross paganism now after a 90-year journey of Christian apostasy. I pointed out to our church, I think this is a couple of four or five weeks ago, that this pagan temple runs its services over three hours. Avatar 2 is one of the longest motion pictures, and uh, you know this, uh, this worship of Mother Earth, this uh, presentation of pantheism in the worship service conducted in these theaters now over three hours long. And nobody seems to be complaining about it. It looks like it may be the number one blockbuster of all time. So, uh, so you know, if you ever complain about your church service being a little too long when the pastors are you know moving towards two hours, well, the average worship service at your local theater is running two to three hours these days. So I guess it just depends on which religion you like. That's what it boils down to. Uh, there are a lot of false religions taught in movie theaters these days. And my encouragement, leave the pagan temples, go to a Christian church. Ecclesiastes 729 says, lo, this only have I found that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. And that's precisely what's going on. That's what's happening with the American popular culture. God created man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. That's what this pantheism is about. That's what this naturalistic worldview is about. That's what this amoralism is all about. So let's repent of our rebellion against God. Let's repent of this running away from God to these false worldviews and false religions taught in the movie theaters. And let's get right with the true and living God. And that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. would encourage you to my book, The Tattooed Jesus, What the Real Jesus Would Do with Pop Culture. And that book available at Generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.